0: This is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus no matter what you're going through today. Summertime has arrived and I'm sure you've got great plans for your summer. I hope you do. But did you ever think of the fact that God designed, created, and gave you the gift of this summer for a much better plan, a much better purpose? Wouldn't you want to know what your summer's purpose is, as designed by God, so that you don't take the chance of wasting it? Don't waste your summer.. All right, how many of us are going to be going on some sort of vacation this summer time? Come on, uh, yeah, yeah. Where are you going? Where are you going? ER. ER. You're going to the ER? That's where y'all always go. Rodriguez that's where) <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope you get a vacation from the normal. That would be really good. Come on, somebody give me a good one. Colorado, Colorado Hiawassee, Israel. Israel. We're going to Israel in 15 days. Very excited about that. Scotland. Scott, Scotland. Oh, really nice. Very nice. You got family in Scotland? Uh, no, but I've got some family that is from Scotland. Okay, family from Scotland. That's good. That's really great. Where else? Anybody else? Going what? To Key West. To Key West. Key, we someone going to Key Largo earlier in the early service. Maybe y'all could carpool, save a little gas money. That's great. Well, it's, it'll be good. Anybody? And one more. Pensacola. A Pensacola. lot of Florida trips going on. That's what we always do. We got family down there in Florida, so it's kind of a big thing, but not for long. Uh, they're coming here. They're coming this way as all good Christians should. Um, <laughs> So if there's one thing uh, in 30 plus years of marriage that I've learned, it's that my wife, Sherry and I, we view vacations through very different lenses. We both have a very, very different kind of view on what vacation is really for. Am I right, Sherry? Turn back around, Sherry, why, why are you talking? Stop talking. I was still on my side of it. Okay, your side of the story, yeah no, I'll tell your side. Here's your side. Sherry thinks we're going on vacation for the opposite reason of me. I arrive on vacation and I know that what we're doing is rare. You know, we don't get to go away and stay somewhere else much out of 52 weeks of the year. Only a a few of them are going to be away doing something we really love and can relax and enjoy like that. So it's rare. Not only is it rare, it's expensive. Am I right, guys? It's expensive, especially this summer. It's expensive to take a vacation. And so I want to get every last inch of my vacation in that I possibly can. I want to enjoy every minute of it. I don't want to miss any. So when I'm on vacation, dude, I'm up before the sun is up. I want to get out of the room wherever we're staying. I want to go find the sunrise view. I want to go explore on a trail, find a waterfall. I want to go uh, enjoy an activity. I want to get out and do stuff. So I'm rolling early. I'm ready to go. I'm rolling till late. I don't want to miss anything late. I only want to come back to the room to collapse at the end of the day so I can enjoy the next day. I'm all about, get this, I'm all about the adventure experience. Sherry, on the other hand, thinks that the best thing about vacation is the mattress. She wants to sleep in. The sun has come up and gone halfway across the sky before she wants to come out of the hotel room. The breakfast buffet does not exist in her vacation universe. She wants to really enjoy every bit of the, you know, afternoon and early evening, but she wants to be in that room under those covers. She wants to be all about the sleep as much as possible on the vacation. So while I'm all about the adventure experience, she's all about the peaceful rest. You'll get there. You'll have that one day, honey. So I don't know. Are y'all like that? Do y'all have that going on in your relationship? two different vacation styles, you know? Yeah. Okay. So is that tension in your life too? Like it sometimes is in ours. I hear you. Okay. I got one. (laughs) All right. I got one where, okay. So one person in the room can identify me. This sermon may just be for me and you. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, she likes the physical peaceful rest. I like the adventure experience. Now I'm going to ask you some questions. Okay. Don't, don't, don't yell at me, but just think about this for a second. Is one right and one wrong? Yes. Ah. <laughs> I would agree. One of those might be right. And one of those might be wrong. What if I told you that there is a right way to experience your vacation and a wrong way. What if I told you that the best parts of your vacation are only experienced in a certain way and not the other way? What if I told you there is a right and a wrong on this? All right, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. What if adventure experience and peaceful rest, what if neither are right? What if neither are the correct way and there's something else going on here? What if I told you that there's something much bigger, much more important about your vacation than the breakfast buffet, you know, than the trail that you hike or the jet skis that you could have been riding? What if I told you there was much more going on? What if I told you that there is great, deep, life-changing, eternity-influencing, meaning and purpose in your summer vacation that you might be missing? What if, what if you could go on your vacation and what if, what if you could spend all of the time and the effort and the money and the energy getting there? And what if, what if you somehow figured it out to where you could have all of the peaceful rest that you wanted and all of the adventure experience that you wanted? What if you, what if you spent it all, did it all, but you still missed out on the whole reason for having a vacation? Would you feel like you wasted your vacation? Would you feel like you got cheated out of something? Would you feel like you only got a little bit of what you should have got out of it? See, it's hard for us to think in these terms about what way is right and what way is wrong on this. And I'm just gonna ask you, does it it really matter? I mean, does it really matter if you're all about the adventure or if you're all about the rest, does it really matter? Maybe not so much on your vacation. Maybe it doesn't matter that much, but be, be careful. Be really careful on this. This is why it's hard for us to think in these terms. And I need you to help me think through this. It's hard for us to think in these terms because our culture is all about you do what's best for you. You do you and I'll do me. You know, you get what you want out of the thing and I'll get, you know, what's best for you may not be what's best for me. And when it comes to our vacations that may or may not matter too much, but when you extend out that relativistic thinking that what's true for me may not be true for you, it quickly and subtly becomes very dangerous in our lives. Right? When you have your set of reality, you have your set of truth and I have my set of truth, all of a sudden, what is truth? What is purpose? What is meaning? What even is reality? And before you know it, if you extend it on out, if you extend this type of thinking on out, all of a sudden there's no truth in your family. There's no truth to rely on. There's no clear definition of what is good and what is evil. And what you end up with when you extend out that relativistic thinking is you end up with a culture that refuses to define what a woman even is, right? You end up with a culture that believes that biological sex and gender have no thing to do with each other, right? Because there is no truth anymore. There is no purpose. There is no meaning. And so you slide into this thing and all of a sudden everything becomes a disaster. Your whole life begins to fall apart because there's no rock to stand on. There's no truth to stand on. There's no basis from which you make all your decisions and you lose your purpose and your meaning and your vacation. And it's easy for us to sit here and say, yeah, I know, I, I, I know those people out there, those people in the world, they're crazy. They are you know, all gender confused and they're all, you know, kill the babies and get rid of the guns and whatever, whatever the agenda is, it's them out there. But we got this. We know the truth here. We, we know what's up and down. We know what's right and wrong. I know, I know it's easy. I know it's easy for us to think that, but be careful. I'm just telling you to be careful because I'm seeing it slide into the church just as much as anywhere else. And I'm not just talking about, you know, liberal churches and conservative churches. You know, I'm not just talking about some churches are all good with, you know, this set of issues and some are all against that set. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about me getting really nervous when I get to a a, a group, a small group or a Bible study and somebody reads a verse of the Bible to us and they read the thing and they look up and say, okay, here's what this verse means to me. And all of a sudden I start sweating because frankly how the word of God happens to rub you on a Tuesday doesn't matter because God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It was spoken out as absolute truth by an authoritative God who speaks his word and his will into our lives. And he said it, and that's it. Am I right? And we, we see, see, see how easily we fall into, we fall into this relativistic thinking. We want to read the Bible. Well, here's what this says to me. Listen, when you, when you say, here's what this means to me and what it means to me might be different than what it means to you. What you're really saying is that the author had no intent in mind when he just spoke these words. So it's up to me to define truth. It's up to me to define meaning. It's up to me to define purpose. And all of a sudden we are just as lost and desperate and as hopeless as all of the rest of the world with a Bible in our hands. Hello? So I'm talking about all this, and I'm talking about it in relationship to the summer, and I just got a question for you, and it's the uh, first question on your page. So if you're taking notes, here it is. Am I the potter or the clay? Am I the potter or the clay? Am I the one that chooses what truth is, or am I the clay? Am I the object or am I the subject? Do I create meaning and purpose in my vacation, in my grill out, in my family time, in my summer, do I create purpose or do I discover a greater purpose? This should be a pretty basic question. And we all pretty much think we know the answer to this, but we've slidden in our culture to this real relativistic thinking. Honestly, you don't have to be a genius and mind the Word of God to figure this out. God's pretty clear. All you gotta go is to page one, sentence one, and you find the answer on this right here. In the beginning, God. God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is a huge sentence right here. Packed full of information. In the beginning, Before everything, God pre-existed. God, and he is the one who, for whatever reason, chose to create the universe. He's the one that spoke it into existence, formed it into the form that it has today. He is the author and the finisher. He's the one who has created it all. He's the artist expressing himself in his creation. Are there any questions about who the potter is and who the clay is? I mean, it's pretty pretty clear to me that he is the one who created it including the apex of all of his creation, his absolute favorite part of all of it, and that's you, right? He makes human beings in his own image. Nothing else looks like, acts like, talks like God, but humans. Human beings are the only species that God created where he breathed his own breath into. We are unique. We're not just some more higher order primate. We are unique in all of creation, designed lovingly by God for clear purpose, clear meaning. There was a real clarity among those first people about who they were and what they were here for, right? He placed them in the garden and he was very clear. He says, you're in charge. You're in charge of all this. Bring it all, subdue it all, bring it all under your authority because you speak and act for me you're here for me. You represent me. Whatever you do, and whatever you say, you're doing so with my direct authority. So you bring order to this chaos that I've created for you so that I may be seen so that my glory may be beheld so that you, when you bring that order out of chaos, you'll be acting like I act. You'll be making something out of nothing. You represent me here. This was huge, huge for Adam and Eve. And God was so happy. He was so happy with those people. He walked in the garden with them. He had conversations with them. Apparently, I mean, it's a big deal until we chose differently. When we took that fruit in the garden, you know, that wasn't just about stealing something from God we actually agreed with the adversary that we could be just as good of a God as God. We actually agreed with the adversary that God was somehow holding out on us, that he wanted everything for himself, but maybe it should be for us after all. And so he convinced us that that relativism might just be the thing, that maybe we should take what we deserve, take from what his purpose is and make it for ourselves. And so we rebelled against God and we tried to set up our own kingdom without him. And in an instant, everything changed. Everything changed. Romans tells us that all of creation now groans because of that day. And it looks forward to that next day, the day when Jesus comes back to set it all right once again. So here we are in between these important days, and we've made a mess of everything. That's why there's war. That's why there's famine. That's why there's conflict. That's why there's suffering. That's why there's ER visits, you know, in the middle of the night. That's why we have all of that stuff going on because all of this is now in active rebellion against a holy God. When we made that decision, we did not just separate ourselves from God, but here's what really happened. When we did that, we sold ourselves out to Satan, and we became slaves to the will of the wrong entity. We became slaves to Satan and slaves to ourselves, slaves to this world. We became enslaved by, in bondage to all of the things of this world. And not only that, but uh, not only do we get enslaved by all of that, but then We also came under God's judgment because a righteous king will punish the traitor. and That's us. So we came under God's judgment and we're separated from Him and we will be punished. We are being punished and we will be punished. That's our own doing. We did this, we blew it, we messed it up because we thought we could just take it all for ourselves. And so our destination is hell forever except for one thing that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. Isn't that great news? It's great news. What happened is the way that works is that God punishes sin. So he sent his son here to go to the cross and to take my punishment, to die in my place. He died for me so that I could live. He died and went to the grave, rose again on the third day and now lives to give me a whole new life, a whole new set of reasons for living, a whole new purpose, a whole new reason to exist. That's why Jesus says in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So what's true for you may not be true for me. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says he is the truth. And if you're going to find truth, it's in him. It is him. And you aren't going to find any absolutes in life until you find him, until you put your trust in him, until you live your life pointed always towards him. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And that's why we follow Him because He changes everything back to the way it should be. That's what He's doing in you now is He's reordering you to become the person that He desires you to be. Isaiah understood this a little bit and he wrote this beautiful prayer about our condition before God. Isaiah 64, he says, "'Since the world began, no ears heard, and no, I has seen a God like you who acts for those who wait for him, who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You welcome those who gladly do good, who follow godly ways, but you've been very angry with us for we are not godly. We are constant sinners. How can people like us be saved when we... Sorry, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. What he's saying here is when we do the best we can, when we show off the best thing we can do, I don't care how many hungry kids you feed, how many hospitals you might, you might build, the best you got compared to a holy God. It's just filthy rags. Does that not shake you a little bit? The best I got still cannot even come close to comparing to him. It's refuse, it's waste, it's garbage, get it away, it's unclean. He goes on and he says, like autumn leaves, we wither and fall and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Yet no one calls your name or pleads with you for mercy. Therefore you've turned away from us and turned us over to our sins. That sound like a description of what we're living in today. No one calling on your name or pleading for mercy and God's turned us over to our sin. Does that sound like a good description of our culture today? He goes on and he says, and yet, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. So don't be angry with us. Lord, please don't remember our sins forever. Look at us, we pray and see that we are all your people. Isaiah is writing this about his people, the Hebrews, and they're under that early covenant, that first covenant where they just hoped that God would look upon them with mercy because he promised he would. And aren't you glad that you're part of a covenant where we don't hope God will look at us and see that we are your people, but he has already done everything that needs to be done to make us his people. Aren't you grateful for that? Yes. Amen. Come on. So here's what this means. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. He says, you do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. I know, I know we like to talk about the grace of God and how He just loves and gives. I just want to be clear. God's grace for me comes at great, bloody, painful cost. You saw me earlier holding my little grandbaby right here. My grandson is back in the back somewhere, probably running around screaming. <laughs> And I can't imagine willingly giving one of those up for you or for anyone. God doesn't just smile and wink at our sin. God has paid the highest of price for our sin. How do you think Jesus felt about it? He didn't skip happily to the cross, you know. What was he doing the night before? He was praying so intently What was he praying? Lord, if there's any way around this, please make it happen. If this cup can pass from me, I pass, I want to pass. And he's so intent about it. He's not just sweating, he's sweating blood about it. Have you ever been that intent, that stressed about anything where you're bleeding out of your forehead? So he's sweating intensely about knowing what's coming, but then he says, but Lord, it's not my will, it's, it's your will. And maybe not happily, but willingly, Jesus takes all of that, beating, thorns, whipping with that cat of nine tails, and he carries that cross, and he's nailed to it where he is hung in front of everybody, laughed at, mocked, and spit upon until he died. For you, for me. God bought you with a high price. He completely sacrificed the body of the Son. And when I catch that vision, how can I do anything but honor Him with my body? How can I not live in an attitude of complete gratitude? He goes on, Paul does in 1 Corinthians says, God paid a high price for you, so don't be enslaved by the world. What he's saying is that he bought you, he bought you lock, stock and barrel. That means he bought you, he bought your marriage. Why are you hogging it to yourself? Why are you trying to get what you can get out of your marriage? He bought that, it's his. He bought you, dad. How are you raising your kids, Mom? He bought you. He bought your job. He bought your retirement. He bought your money. He bought your summer. In fact, that's the next blank on your page. He owns my summer. He owns it. It's His. It belongs to Him. That means everything about my summer should point always to Him. Right? Because it's all His. So everything about my summer should boast of Him. Everything I do this summer should point to Him. When I'm doing whatever I'm doing, it should look like, sound like, act like, feel like, smell like Him. It should all be about Him and His greatness been bought at an incredible price. Can you imagine, can you imagine doing anything but honoring him with your summer? About 20 years ago, Sherry and I took another vacation. It was a little different than most. We had another chance then to go to Israel like we're doing this time. This is not my first go around. And this was the days before you could just kind of do all the virtual tours of all the places you're going. So I wasn't sure what all we were doing. I I knew what our Holy Land trip was going to look like, but we had this weird thing. We had a few days tacked on at the end of our Holy Land trip that we were going to spend a few days in Europe, specifically in Germany and Switzerland. I still to this day don't know why we went to Germany and Switzerland, but we got a chance to go there. Ever been there? Anybody ever been? Switzerland? Switzerland. Switzerland. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I didn't know what to expect. I was excited about, you know, Jerusalem. I was excited about the sea of Galilee. I was excited about Caesarea Philippi. I didn't know what to expect in Switzerland. So it was all going to be a mystery to me. And we got there, we rolled up and they put us in this hotel. I got a picture of it. It's the Grand National Hotel in Lucerne, Switzerland. Remember that hotel, honey? Dude, this hotel is built in 1870. It's a historic hotel. It is a James Bond kind of hotel. Dude, it is the top of the line hotel. We're like putting our luggage in going, are we sure we're in the right <laughs> spot? We should be in the Clarion down the road. Why are we here? This was an amazing, amazing literally top-of-the-line place, you can sit on the balcony of your hotel room and you look across Lake Lucerne at the Swiss Alps. What? What are we doing in a place? That's not Sherry, by the way. This is a a marketing picture that I found on the internet. But that's the real view. That's what we looked at, right? That does kind of look like you. What are you drinking there? Maybe I shouldn't... (laughs) Okay, not you, marketing picture. Okay, so so here we are, and we're stunned at the beauty of Lake Lucerne and the snow-capped Swiss Alps just right in our backyard. And we're just, we're putting our luggage, and we're just, I mean, our mouths are on the floor, jaws are dropped, you know. We just can't believe, and we don't know what to expect. We just kind of go back downstairs to the dinner, and down there, our tour guide says, okay, tomorrow, here's the plan. Uh, I've worked it out to where y'all are going to have a nice train tour of the Swiss Alps. You're going to ride a glass enclosed passenger train and you're going to travel from Swiss village to Swiss village. And when you get to the ski slopes, if you want to ski, you can. We're going. What? What are you talking about? And I'm. Remember, I'm adventure experience, right? So I'm like, you tell me what time to be there. I'm gonna be there. You tell me what time. And he goes, well, that's the that's the catch. We got to be there at like seven. So you got to be ready to go at six. Ready to go six. I'm like, all right, beep, set, go. Let's, Let's. I'm ready. Let's go now. You know, let's go. I'm all ready. And there's other people with us in our group, Sherry and I were all excited about going, at least I, I believe now in my memory, she was excited <laughs> and was willing to go. But there were other people in our group who they were like, seen it. I'm like, what? What do you mean seen it? And they're like, yeah, we, we've had a long trip already so far. We're kind of tired. We're, we think tomorrow, Instead of that, I think we're going to sleep in, just sleep as late as we feel like it. And then we're going to probably go do a little shopping downtown. And I looked at him and I said, I think I'm having an aneurysm because surely no human being would say that when you could be touring, going through on a train through the Swiss Alps, only an idiot would miss that. And they're like, no, that's, that's what we're going to do. We're going to stay here, sleep till noon, go shopping. And I said, we have malls all over town back home. You can go shopping anytime back home. This is rare and it's expensive. You've paid for this. And look at the beautiful, majestic Swiss Alps. You would miss out on the glory and the majesty of the Alps so you can enjoy the mattress in your room. Are you sure about that? And that's what they did we got to go and see up close and personal and actually be in the Swiss Alps while they slept their day away. Isn't that what we do so much? God has called us to experience the power and the majesty of his purpose for your summer, but we trade it off for our mattress and our pillow. We trade it off because we think what's good for me, God, is better than what you designed me for. It's the same thing as the garden all over again, but we do it every summer. Are you doing that with this summer? Are you you in danger of missing the majesty and the glory? and just sleeping it away. Now, I'm not saying you should be up like me before sunrise. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that God's got a purpose for everything you're doing all summer. He's got a purpose for June the 6th in your life a purpose for June the 7th in your life. He's got a purpose for every trip you take, every person that you meet, everything that you do, God has a purpose for it, a meaning for it. And He designed you specifically for that thing. Why would you think you're going to find happiness, peace, joy and fulfillment if you aren't connected to His purpose for your summer? First John, John writes this, he says, do not love this world or the things that it offers you. For when you love this world, you do not have the love of the Father even in you. The world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but they're from this world. In this world, if you hadn't noticed, is fading away along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God, anything, anyone who understands his purpose, anyone who lives according to what he's called you to become, anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. That means everything about my summer should boast of Jesus everything about everything in my life should boast of him, should point to him. That's what Paul said as he writes in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, I decided that while I was with you, I'd forget everything else except for Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. So what's a big vacation you're going on this summer? I don't know. I forgot about it. I'm just trying to find where Jesus wants me to be. What do you want to grill out tonight for the family? I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm just thinking about how Jesus can speak through this. What is it you want to do and accomplish this? What are your goals for the summer? I don't know. I'm forgetting about it. I just want to be all about Jesus. Do you live for the amazing majesty and glory of what he's called to, or are you settling for your mattress and your pillow? I know this is hard to get our heads around. I understand that. But Paul writes in Galatians, he had it figured out. He says, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in all the things of this summer, all the things of this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died, he says. Paul really took heart to what Jesus said when he says, if you're going to follow me, you got to.'" Lay down your own life and take up your cross. That's when you follow me. Jesus says the more tightly you grip your own life, the quicker it gets away from you. So let it go and let Him have it. Die to yourself and let Him live through you. In other words, next blank on your page, the only way to boast in the cross is to be on the cross. The only way to boast in the cross is to be on it, to be a person who is dying to self and living for him. So I know, I know what you're thinking is, okay, Steve, you're telling me I got to work harder. I got to add things in my schedule. I got to be at church more. I got to give more of my money. I got I to gotta show up at more things. You know, I got to do all the stuff that kind of gets in the way of my summer. And my response to that is, no, please, please don't do that. Please don't do that. I don't want you to begrudgingly serve God. And I promise He wants nothing to do with that also. I just want you to love Him. And I want your life to boast of Him. I want your family to see Him in you. I don't want you to add things to your schedule, though there's things to add to your schedule. The purpose isn't how many hours did I spend, you know, playing the VR video games versus how many hours I spent in Bible study. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about everything about you boasting of Christ. I'm really tired and I bet you are too. I'm really tired of Christians who, you know, love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they work really hard at it, but they resent every minute of it. You've seen those Christians who are saved and they seem to be angry about it. You you know what I'm talking about? Are you awake even? (laughs) Just making sure. But here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for God's glory. It's not about number of hours, It's it's about Carter and McKinley being raised to love Jesus. And I want them to look at their poppy And I want them to fall in love with Jesus because I love them so much. And I want to do anything I can to help Lauren and Connor be the parents that help create those healthy, good boundaries for those kids to grow up in the right direction. I want, I want Connor and Lauren to be passionate about their walk with Christ, to love him so much that they can't get away from him. So when they're talking to, to Carter and to McKinley, all they can talk about is Jesus. So their kids don't know any different. Their kids don't get raised with parents that love possessions and materialism and relativism, but instead they just love Jesus. That's what I'm talking about right here. So that your cookout with your family points to Jesus. Your vacation that you take points to Jesus. The interactions you have at work, they all point to Jesus. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or anything you do, do it all for the glory of God. Hello? So how, how do you start with that? How do you start? Okay. I do have calendar items because it is about laying our lives down. And so if you grab your sheet, grab your sheet real quick, help me just grab your sheet, just help me. Got it right there, got it, I wanna see it. Come on, I wanna see it. I wanna see it, let me see it. Good, 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 all right. If you look not on the notes side, but if you look on the back here in the top right hand corner, you'll see the QR code for Serve Summer. This is so important. You know, you might've seen the, the wall out there, the four Gilmer wall in the, in the lobby out there. Uh, if you go to this little website, just point your phone right at it with the camera and it'll, it'll take you to that page. And it has all the opportunities that we have to serve. And you know, we've got hungry children in this community that just need us to give lunch. Uh, we got kids at Vacation Bible School coming up next month that just need someone to love on them. One of the things that's near and dear to my heart right now that I didn't know about until this week is Celebrate Recovery. I love Celebrate Recovery. And let me tell you something we have the best meals ever anywhere on Friday nights here at Celebrate Recovery. Am I right? Our people that do the meals are a honkin' amazing, <laughs> right? They're great. But it's summertime, and now schedules are all crazy, and now we have difficulty with providing meals for cooking on Friday nights and providing meals for everybody. And there's like, there's like 150 people here, a lot of Friday nights. And so we need help with dinners for Friday nights. Maybe, maybe your family, maybe, maybe you would come and provide dinner and bring your kid along. Your kid needs to see you doing that. How's your kid gonna learn to lay their life down if they're not seeing mom and dad lay their lives down? Maybe you could feed people at Tower Road, bring your, bring your spouse, bring your kids, bring your grandkids. How are they gonna learn if they aren't seeing you do it? And even more than that, the eternity of some of those people hang in this balance. Your serving food may just affect the eternity of a kid out near Tower Road. Your providing dinner into our addiction community, our addiction recovery community on Friday nights, may just change the eternity of someone there. What if all of a sudden your summer didn't just become about a calendar list of things you're doing, but what if all of a sudden it had purpose that changed eternity? That's what it means to boast in Christ. Next, Mike, on your page, glorifying God is my summer's purpose. Glorifying God is my summer's Purpose. I know, I know it seems crazy. I know it seems like, well, holy cow, I don't know how to do all this. It's going to be nuts. Um, But I'm just going to ask you, how do you find peace and joy any other way than by following Christ, doing what he would be doing? Seems crazy. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. So your vacations will come and go, your summers will come and go, but don't let eternity be missed. Have an influence in all of eternity by boasting of Christ in your summer because, last blank on your page, there is more to this than summer. There's more to this than a calendar date.